Well, let's uh, find your seats, and um, and I want to I want to ask the Lord to really uh, bless our time in His Word and give us some uh, give us some clarity here around the gospel. What an awesome privilege that we have to make known uh, the name of Jesus. So why don't I pray for us before we dive into God's Word here today? Lord, we love you, and um, I'm just so thankful for that reminder, that message. What a what what a powerful truth that that. You are working in and through us. And you did such incredible things while you were walking this earth. And yet you said that, that you wanted to do greater things through us, through your church. And Lord, I pray that we would have a passion for your glory. It's for your name, not for us. Not so that we can step back and and see, hey, look what God's doing in our church. But so that we would just see you on display. I pray that our hearts would be drawn to that, desire that. and, And Lord, I'm also praying that. Uh, you would encourage us uh, to, to be bold, courageous witnesses and get the gospel out. And we give you praise for that opportunity. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd uh, reveal yourself to us again. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, why don't you take your Bibles and go with me then to uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have uh, a Bible, uh, our ushers are coming around. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you so you can just get their attention. They would love to uh, give you a Bible or you can follow along with the, uh, on the Bible app if that would be easier. Uh, but we want you to be there in Exodus chapter 12. Here we are in Exodus chapter 12. I gave you homework last week because we just preached through like five chapters in two weeks going through the 10 plagues. You remember those? Uh, You don't have to say them with me, but see if you can kind of do it in your head, okay? Here here are the 10 plagues. The first was water into blood, then frogs, then gnats, then flies, then the livestock, then boils, then hail, then locusts, and darkness, and then finally, uh, the 10th plague was actually threatened Uh, the death of the firstborn. And here we are, chapter 12. God is about to do something that's going to change the children of Israel's lives forever. They've been living in slavery, and he is going to lead them out and set them free. And so here he's going to teach them about salvation and give them a reminder. He's going to give them this important reminder so that they always remember that that he is their deliverer. Now, um, all of us have... Uh, had experiences that have absolutely changed our lives forever. We've all been through this. And immediately when I started thinking about this, I thought about this one uh, beautiful, wonderful, amazing woman that God put into my life. And, and, and I am so thankful for my wife, Carissa. I was thinking about this week. I, I was remembering the night that Carissa and I started dating. And uh, yes, I know, um, that is me. Uh, you can save your comments for later. I appreciate that. Uh, but, but this wasn't actually the night we started. We didn't get married the night we started dating. But, but um, the night we started dating, we, it had been all long distance, okay? And, and, and we'd been friends for a little while. And, and I started emailing her, which was before Facebook stocking day. So I had to, like, track her email address down. And then I got up the nerve to call her on the phone. And, and this, like, this is in the Stone Age before. I didn't even have a cell phone at this point, okay? That just tells you how long ago this was. But we were all long distance the entire time. Then we were finally going to have this night where we got to be together the night we started dating. And I'm telling you, it was magical. We, um, I, I knew from that moment on that she, uh, th- this was the girl that I wanted to be with for the rest of my life. She was my dream girl. And, and that night we got to 
Uh, I got to hold her hand. We got to take a walk in the woods, in the snow. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me now because she absolutely hates the snow. And apparently, and she remembers that that night she uh, slipped and fell on the ice. I promise you it was really romantic. And... Uh, uh, six months later, we actually took a walk in those woods again. I got to write her a song and asked her to marry me. And um, In fact, next week we're going on a date just to celebrate that. That was uh, July 2nd, uh, 13 years ago was, was how long ago uh, that was. And then six months after that was this date right here where we got married. December 29th. 2006, we got married, and so that day changed my life. December 29th is our anniversary. That's kind of a special day in our household. It's on the calendar so that we'll remember, so we get a chance to, to celebrate our life together, and, and usually we try to do something fun, or sometimes I try to surprise her, mostly unsuccessfully, but every once in a while I get it, and, and, and we just want to spend time together, and, and I just let her know how incredible and how special she is to me, how much I love her. I just praise God that uh, he put her in my life, but it's, it's on the calendar so that we celebrate and so that we never forget that day that changed our lives, and we get to also just kind of remember what's important. Well, God is about to do something for Israel that is so incredible that he's going to give them an annual reminder. He's going to give them the Passover, like an anniversary, so that every year they can celebrate and never forget. Don't forget that he is their Savior. And I love for us, this, is, this just points us right to Jesus. So if you're taking notes, here's the, the big idea that we're going to see here in the text. Um, I want to apply this to ourselves here. He says this, don't, don't, don't forget God's grace in saving you and how that's changed your life. And it is so important and, and so good and so life-giving to remember what Jesus has done for us and, and the difference that that has made in our lives. So we've got a lot we're going to read to, uh, through together. This is Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read the, uh, the first 28 verses here. So we've got a lot. So starting in verse 1, you follow along with me as I read. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make the count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood 
shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day hold a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month of the evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. Are you picking up on that? Like, no leaven. Got that? In all of your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then... Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. And will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what, what, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's passer, Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Don't forget God's grace in saving you and how that's changed your life. And I want to I personally apply this. And so here's uh, two ways that we do that, okay? Now note this, here's one. Reorient your life around Christ. Okay, we're just going like, to apply this to ourselves. We want to reorient our lives around Christ. So I want you to notice something. Notice verse 2. Before we get into the Passover and what's supposed to happen there, just, just notice what it says, verse 2. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the, uh, the first month of the year for you. So we're about to get into all sorts of details, but that right there is pretty shocking because God is changing their calendar. That's kind of crazy, okay? So let me put a calendar up here so you can just kind of see the difference uh, between the Jewish calendar and our calendar. You see our calendar kind of on the inner circle there, and you see the Jewish months on the outside. And, and we know that this month, they, they, they follow this lunisolar calendar. It's just a little bit different. Most of it's kind of based on uh, the moon phases. But, but, but the month that he's talking about is the month of Aviv, which years later is given the Babylonian name Nissan, you can see up there in the blue. That, that is uh, the month that we're talking about here. 
That is what God is saying. I want you to change the calendar. This becomes month number one. And we know that that's what he's talking about because uh, in Exodus 13, uh, verse 4, I've got this for you on the screen. Here's what Moses tells us. He says, today, in the month of Aviv, which becomes Nisan, you are going out. So now what he's saying is that is the first month of the religious calendar. Starting over. Okay, so this is kind of crazy because if, some, if, if we have a big event that happens, sometimes the event is big enough that, that it gets its own holiday. In just a couple weeks, we're about to celebrate the 4th of July. And, and, and why are we going to celebrate the 4th of July? Because of this guy right here. Because of the Declaration of Independence. Because the people were willing to, there was a couple people that were like, man, like, we're done with this whole King George thing. I ain't listening to him. We're going to be uh, uh, separated from them. And so we uh, put it on the calendar, mark the date, plan a barbecue, shoot some fireworks off, and, and, and just have a good old time. Why? Because America. <laughs> it's an event to celebrate this important uh, event in history, so we want to remember that. But what's crazy is that, that, that God's not just declaring a national holiday here. He's saying, what's about to happen is so important, it is so significant that I am literally asking you to change your calendar to highlight this event. So this is going to be a reminder for you, every time you look at the calendar, every time you check the date, everything has been impacted by this saving act of God. This changes everything. Something new has begun. He's starting something that, that hasn't been done before. Think, think, think about this. When, when they arrived in Egypt, you remember they were just uh, the, the family of Israel, the family of Jacob. About 70 people, which is kind of a big family reunion, but still it's just a family. But, but, but then when we read, when we opened Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, we saw that this family, it said, increased greatly and they multiplied until the land was filled with them. So, so they were no longer just this nomadic family. They had now become, as God had promised Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, he said, I will make of you a great nation. So what's happening here, this is the start, the beginning of the nation. This is a, a, a new start, a start of a new identity for them, that these are the chosen people of God whom he is going to lead out of slavery in Egypt and into a relationship with himself and then into a land that he promised. It's a, it's a fresh start. It's a, it's a new day. And so I want you to make it the first month so that you'll remember that. So think about what he's essentially asking them to do. He's saying, I want you to reorient your entire rhythm of life around what God has done for you and their identity as God's redeemed people. And, and that's what Jesus has done for us. You see, in Christ, he has given us a new identity in him. And so what he's calling us to do then is to reorient our entire lives around him. Think about that. The day that Jesus saved you from your sin, that was day one of the new you. You know that? You're a brand new person. In fact, if you need a scripture and verse to that, here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. 
The, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are no longer the same man, same woman that you were before Christ. In Jesus, because of what he has done, now he has made you new. It's a brand new start. Which means that now, because I belong to Jesus, my identity is not found in anything else. So, so when I start thinking about the question of like, well, who, who am I and, and, and why am I here and, and, and really what, what is my purpose? The, the, the answer uh, to that is not found in what I do. That I'm a preacher or I'm a, I work for the government or I'm in the military or I'm a mom or I uh, you know, work for a nonprofit or I volunteer. It's not found in what we do. It's not found in, 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 in titles that we've earned. It's not found in, in, in what I have and what I can accumulate and all of my stuff. It's not found in, in, in where I live and, and what my uh, housing community has to offer. It's not found in what I drive, whether, whether it's a, a, a sports or a luxury car or whether I've gone full electric or whether you're just one of the other thousands and thousands of Honda Odysseys that are around here. It's not, it's not found in that. It's not found in, 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 in how I how I look or my style like I'm the studly bald guy <laughs> or just the uh, dad bod uh, driving a minivan or or or, or uh, that I'm you know I'm a uh, I'm a, a hipster or I'm a professional or I wear the power suit or the Patagonia or Michael Kors or Birkenstocks or anything it's not found in that it's not found in, in, in my goals and my dreams and my ambitions to make a difference and, and, and do something with my life. It's not even found in my personality that I'm, I'm shy or I'm outgoing or this, or this aura that, that, that I uh, portray that I'm intelligent or that I'm a, I'm a reader, I'm a thinker, or, or I'm funny, or I'm adventurous, or whatever. Listen, those kind of things do not define me anymore. Jesus has made all the difference. He has made me new, and now my whole world revolves around him, and my identity is first and foremost found in who I am in Christ. That I am chosen by God, adopted as a, as a child of God. I am loved by my Father. That I I'm set apart to serve him, that I'm commissioned. He's given me a job to go make disciples of Jesus for his name, for his glory. I'm his. I, I, I belong to him. So what he's saying is this, is, this is the way we do this. We start to reorient our thinking about who we are and why we're here in light of the difference that Jesus has made and how he's changed our lives. He's changed everything. So you start reorienting your thinking, but it also then changes your actions. And so let me ask it to you like this. If Jesus has saved you, then what does it look like for you to reorient your life, to, to put him first, and to make your life all about him? Maybe for some of you, uh, that that means you're going to get baptized. Because listen, if you believe in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, then that's the next step. 
that you're going to go under the water, and it's not that that saves you or anything, but that is a, a public uh, de- declaring, I belong to Christ. It's an outward expression of an inward reality that Jesus has changed me, and I want everybody to know it, and I want to follow him with the rest of my life. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized in expression of that, then it means that we're going to grow in our discipleship. And I need to start looking at everything in my life, everything that's going on, and put Jesus at the center of it. That I'm going to reorient my priorities. What goes on my schedule first? What's on my, what's on my to-do list? What am I looking forward to most? What, 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 what do I want most? Does my life still revolve around me? Or is it obvious that Jesus has changed everything and my life is all about him? That means I, if it's true that he really is number one, that he comes first, then then that's how I also make my decisions. When I'm wrestling with things, the, the thing that I, uh, I first think about is what he's called me to do and, and what is going to bring him the most glory. I think about that, about where I'm going to live, where I'm going to work. I do that for the sake of the gospel and for reaching the lost and, and, and opportunities to live out the values of his kingdom. And it impacts every single relationship I have is in light of my relationship with Jesus. And I, and I even spend and I budget my money and, 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 and invest generously in his work, not just in my own comfort and, and happiness. It changes my wallet. And when I am facing those choices or I'm at a, a crossroads, I first go to God's word and then I start seeking the counsel of, of brothers and sisters in Christ because I want to do what he wants. And I want to open myself up and surrender to the Lord everything. My entire life is yours. What does that look like for you? See, God is changing Israel's calendar as a reminder for them that everything revolves around the Lord. He comes first because of what he's done for them. You're not going to be able to forget this. Here's the second way that we not forget. Note this. Remember your substitute. Remember your substitute. So now let's uh, look at the Passover. Then the Passover becomes this immersive experience where, where all the rituals and the tastes and the smells, all of it's just highlighting the judgment and the salvation of God. And, and, and it's a reminder to the people of Israel of his grace. That they did not come under his wrath and judgment because they had a substitute who took that judgment in their place. And you see it right there in the text, verse 3. Each of their households were to take a lamb. A lamb for a household. Each household had to have their own. And this lamb would receive God's judgment instead of them. But there's something important about it. Look at verse 5. you got to make sure this. It shall be without blemish. had to be perfect. It had to be uh, spotless. And it's just a little lamb. It's innocent. I realize some of you thinking about that, you just like picture it in your head. You start feeling bad for the thing. 
You're kind of hoping that your kids don't name it Fluffy and start getting attached to it because then four days later, what happens? Verse 6, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then you take some of the blood, put it on the doorpost, you eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. That lamb was going to become a sacrificial lamb that would die so that the firstborn son in the house didn't have to. While I was in Israel, uh, I had a chance to uh, visit uh, a place in the West Bank. This is a uh, Samaritan village uh, just west of the city of Nablus in the West Bank, and this is actually on Mount Gerizim. Some of you might uh, kind of recognize that name. Mount Gerizim is where later the Israelites are going to put half of, half of the Israelites on Mount Ebal, half of the Israelites on Mount Gerizim, and they're, they're going to recite the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curses of the law on Mount Ebal back and forth to one another as a reminder. On Mount Gerizim, the mountain where they recite the blessings, uh, uh, today there is a Samaritan village. I'm told that there's only about 800 of them left, and they gather together. I got a chance to go see. This is where they gather together on the night of Passover and, and actually have the sacrifice. Now, I think this is the only place that this is happening in the world. You've got to remember that the Jews don't have a sacrificial system anymore because there's no temple in Jerusalem. And this uh, picture right here uh, was taken uh, just in this April. This is, I know it's kind of gruesome, and, and, and I'm sorry if that's uh, kind of gross to you. I realize that most of us are used to getting our meat from the freezer section. And, and if actually, I was, uh, this week I was walking through Wegmans, um, uh, getting some lamb for our Passover Seder this Wednesday. Uh, not a lot, don't get too excited. Uh, but while I was walking through the meat section, got to be honest with you, the smell is not so great. It's not awesome. And, and I'm anticipating that, that, that uh, I would think that the Israelites in their culture are probably a little bit more used to this. But you got to think that that night, there would have been thousands and thousands of lambs that were slaughtered all at once. It was a bloody mess. And then the blood actually becomes more prominent because God says, I want you to take that blood and I want you to literally brush it, paint it on the doorway. I mean, nothing says house party like literally blood dripping off the door. That blood, verse 13, he says, that's going to be a sign for you because when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. See, God himself was actually going to go through Egypt, striking down all the firstborn. But when he'd come to a house and he'd see the blood on the doorway, he would literally pass over, he'd skip over them so that, that, that they would be left unharmed and, 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 and he's not going uh, to touch them. He leaves them alone in that. And these people in that house are saved because they are identified by the blood of an innocent lamb who had already come under judgment and death for them. The blood of the innocent in the place of the guilty. I mean, could that not be any more clear for us? Do you get this that the entire Bible is about Jesus? I love that that just points us to what Christ does for us. In fact, we know that because the New Testament writers said that. Uh, here's, here's what Paul says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he's recognizing that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of this. He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
That's Paul. And Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 1, check this out. He says, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was innocent. He was, he was, he was perfect and loving and kind and, and compassionate and honest and he did whatever he could to help people. But he was also hated. And so they arrested him and they lied about him and they had him humiliated and they, they had him executed in this horrific death as if he was guilty and hung him there on a cross like a criminal. And Jesus did that because we had rebelled against the God who made us and loves us. That we are sinners. And so Jesus died willingly because God, who is holy and who is just, is coming again to judge and condemn sinners. That's why he came. I think, think, think about this. Like all Jesus ever deserved was love and acceptance uh, by the Father. But instead, he took on our sin and he was crushed under the wrath of God as our substitute. And he was judged in our place. So we have life because of his death. And here... The Israelites are saved by the substitute of a lamb. And then God institutes this as an annual feast. I want to make sure, I want you to eat this every year. Because I want to make sure that it is so clear and that, that you don't forget that salvation is always by grace. Always is. Now make sure you remember that. So verse 14, he says, This day shall be for you a memorial. Keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. I want you to notice something, that, that, that this uh, was not just instructions to Moses while they're in Egypt before Pharaoh lets them go. This was actually for the future. This is for the ongoing, every year, this annual feast. Put it on the calendar. It's going to be a reminder for them. Verse 17 says it's the feast of unleavened bread. He says, seven days, that's all you get to eat is this unleavened bread. I have some of this here for you. This is uh, matzah, and if you've, you can see just kind of how like thin and appetizing that looks. Uh, if you come on Wednesday, we're going to eat some of this together. And here's what he's saying. He's like, so you say, like I, from the 14th day to the 21st of the month of Aviv of Nisan every year, this is all you get to eat. No leaven. You can't have any, I would be like yeast. You can't have anything uh, in your house even because they were supposed to remember that when God brought them out of Egypt, he did it so quickly, they literally didn't even have time to let the bread rise. Like we're getting you out of here. And so the purpose of this is so that they would remember what God did to save them. Don't forget God's grace in saving you and how that has changed your life. He says, I want you to observe this day throughout your generations. You're going to keep doing this. And one of the reasons you're going to get to do this is so that you get to tell your kids. Because your kids are going to be like, why are we doing this? And then you get an opportunity to tell the story, to tell them that, that when God came and he struck down the Egyptians, it was a crazy plague, and the last one was the worst, and yet in that, God passed over us. You never forget what God has done 
We get to teach these generations, and even the kids, they're, they're, they're going to the, uh, get to eat the bread uh, with no leaven in it, and they're going to kind of get to taste it and, and live it out and experience what it was like for them to go through it too. He says, I want you to do this uh, even into the future. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. He says, when, when, when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, keep this service. So he's saying, I want you to do it even in the promised land. Do it even when you're not slaves anymore which is going to be a little bit different than the first time that they ate it. Because look at how they ate it in verse 11. Check this out. While they're still in Egypt, verse 11, he says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, like you're ready to go on a road trip. That's the way I want you to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come home from work and, and it's time for dinner, um, I don't want to be in my work clothes. Like, I, I, I want to kick back, and, and so I, I put on some basketball shorts, and I put on a T-shirt because I want to relax. I want to get comfortable. But here, God's telling them, no, 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 no. Grab your coat, put your shoes on, get ready to walk out the door. Eat fast, hurry up. We don't have a lot of time. I was thinking about this this week, and I'm like, man, we need to institute the Passover rule in our house. Does anybody else have kids You feel like they just take forever to eat? You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, J.C., God bless her. I love her to death. But that, like, piece of matzah, that would be like a 45-minute endeavor trying to get her to, to eat that. I feel like we should just institute that. It's the Passover real. Eat up. Okay, got to eat fast. We got to go. Getting ready to go out the door. He says we're going to eat it in haste because we're getting out of here. But today, when the Jews celebrate the Passover, they don't eat it in a hurry like they did in Egypt. They actually recline at the table. They kick back and they relax as they're eating it. Why? Because they're free. God has set them free. In fact, we see Jesus doing that. Can I show that to you? Look at Luke 22. I've got this for you on the screen. Here's, you, you know this night, you know this meal. When the hour came, it says Jesus reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. They're kicking back, reclining at the table because they're remembering that they have been set free because God saved them. Now there's, I think, a lot of implications here, but I just want you to think about that. What specific sin has God set you free from? We, we, we don't all struggle the same way. We're all tempted in different ways. We're all prone to different sins. And yet, in, in Christ, all of us have been set free. We are no longer slaves to that sin. You see that? It is so important for us to remember the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And remember that, 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 that where you were and where'd you, where you'd be if it wasn't for Jesus dying in your place as your substitute so that you could claim his victory over that sin in your life. You're set free. Well, Israel was supposed to keep this Passover and this feast every single year. They, they, they didn't always do that. They weren't very faithful at it, but it was meant to be this regular memorial so that they would remember God's salvation. But then years later, Jesus came along. 
And on the night before he went to the cross, he actually infused the Passover meal with new and greater meaning. Because he took some of the unleavened bread and in front of his disciples, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup in the same way. He said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What he's saying is, now, now, now I want you to remember, but I don't want you to just remember what I did for you in bringing you out of slavery in Egypt. From now on, I want you to remember the cross. Which is why we as a church continuously and regularly celebrate communion together. That we get this opportunity to remember our substitute, the Lamb of God whose body was broken for us, whose blood was spilt in our place. But when we do this, I, I, you got to know, eating the bread and, and drinking the wine, that, that doesn't save us. But it allows us to just look back and, and, and remember so that we don't forget it's always grace. Church, God loves us. We are adopted. We're, 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 we're sons and daughters of the king. We are free. We never have to be slaves again. We belong to him, and nothing is ever going to change that. Do you know that there, there, there's, there, God is not going to love you more today because you got up and came to church, or, or, or you read your Bible every day this week, or, or you tried to do something really nice, and you gave up plastic straws, or you volunteered at a soup kitchen, which is great, or you, you, you even shared the gospel with your neighbor, and, and that, that's awesome, but that doesn't make God love you more. He already loves you. His love for you is infinite. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how much he loves you. And he loves you no matter what. It's grace. Which means we get to get off the performance treadmill. We don't have to earn it and we can't lose it. We can just rest and kick back and rest in this salvation. Knowing that my identity is secure in Jesus Christ. And so we remember, remembering what Jesus has done for us keeps us from trusting in anything else. I mean, we just watched, we saw the foolishness of the Egyptians trusting in all their other gods and trusting in their own strength. It doesn't work. This is why we, we, we reorient our entire lives around Christ. Nothing else comes first because he's the only one who can deliver as promised. We trust in him. And remembering also gives us this, this hope and this confidence that it can't be shaken by circumstances. Think about that. It, 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 it doesn't matter how tough things get in your life, how deep, how dark the valley you are in. This promise is that God loves you and he is always with you. He is with you in that. And that one day, he's going to set all things right. But remembering also gives us an opportunity to share our story. It's personal now. It's not just Israel's story and what happened to them. I've got a story. 
God has changed my life. And we want to be courageous in our evangelism of sharing that with others. Look at what God's done in me. And he can save you too. We are saved by grace through faith in the work of Christ. I just want you to notice verses 1 through 20. Verses 1 through 20, that's actually God talking to Moses. But, but verses 21 to 27, that's Moses relaying the message to Israel. And now Israel has an opportunity and there's this expectation that they need to obey. Now that's significant because God wasn't just making a, a distinction between Israel and Egypt the same way he did with the, the flies or the darkness or some of the other plagues. There it just kind of happened. He didn't let them uh, have to deal with it at all. But, but this time, they actually had to act in faith and apply the blood to their doorposts if they wanted to escape judgment. So verse 27 said, The people then, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. And they went and did so as the Lord had commanded That was an act of faith. And they're putting their trust in God to save them. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Father, I thank you for the work that you have done to save us, to set us free. I, I want to remember that. While everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I, I, I got to give you an opportunity to respond to this because Scripture says today is the day of salvation. And if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, He's the only one that can save you. We're guilty sinners. And if you know that, and you know that you need Jesus to save you, then I want to just encourage you to cry out to the Lord. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so right, right where you're at, with your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, you can, in this moment, you can just pray quietly in your heart and just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve judgment. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place. Please forgive me. Please save me. If you believe that, if you're praying, then he does. And you belong to him. So Father, I pray that you would encourage us with that. Maybe for somebody, this is day one. But all of us need to be reminded of day one and what you've done. There's a difference now. And we're resting in the grace of Christ. And because of that, we're not just sitting around doing nothing. We, we are remembering what you've done and sharing the story. We want to be bold witnesses for you. Lift high the name of Jesus in worship and make sure that you get all the glory and the praise that you deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray.